0: Welcome to another edition of the Y Pod, where we highlight everyday Wyoming leaders. This episode features Jason Kinsler of LifeKey. We talk about things like how starting a company is like building a fence, what he views as the biggest key in business, and his most recent tech startup right here in Wyoming. Hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoyed recording it. Here we go with Jason Kinsler. You mentioned you are multiple generation Wyoming resident.
1: Early on, 1900s, um, my great grandparents moved to Wyoming. They uh, migrated here. I think they they went from Ellis Island to Colorado, and then quickly up to Wyoming and started ranching. And the story is that my great grandfather bought the old Stub Farlow Ranch in Lander, and Stubb Farlow by many. Uh, stories is the rider on the bucking horse logo so a lot of people say that's who's who's on the horse and rider
0: look. i'm guessing you don't get any royalties though
1: no i don't <laughs> think so but just a lot of generations of entrepreneurs i think that probably helped but yeah yeah i'm a I'm, I'm wyoming,
0: wyoming guy grew up in wyoming and then got out of wyoming for a period of time yep uh, why did you leave where did you go what were you looking for
1: everybody goes to UW. dub And in retrospect, I probably should have went to UW, but I felt like it was gonna be like high school part two, junior, senior. Next level, <laughs> so I wanted to just kind of get away and do other thing. And, and back then I was, you know, I was an athlete. I was playing basketball. So my my plan was to walk on at Montana State in Billings. And uh, so I started playing with the team there and had a good spot, um, kind of slotted for the for the fall. Really amazing program. Uh, Coach Cars, he was the guy that recruited Shaquille O'Neal to LSU back in the day. And so just a great fun opportunity. And about two weeks before school started in the season started, they recruited an All-American from Cornell that took my position that I was going to walk on for. So long story short, it didn't become about basketball at that point. I looked around. They didn't have a football team. So I, th- I thought about transferring to Rocky Mountain College, didn't do it, and ended up um, playing rugby which I ended up playing for 20 years. Still play rugby sometimes. Not everybody's supposed to know that, like my mom or people like that. Um, we won't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. But I loved it, uh, you know, and just really dove into communications and journalism. And that's what kind of led me out of Wyoming. And then I actually ended up leaving college early to accept a main anchor news position in Butte Bozeman, Helena, doing the news there. Spent about a year doing that up in Montana. I was pretty close to Montana. I'd spent a lot of time there growing up. Basically got a job offer back in Billings and did sort of the statewide news on the weekends. And that's what I did for... That was kind of my first career.
0: The idea of being on the air, being a part of the news. What did you like about that? What did you maybe not like about that?
1: I'm a creative guy. I loved. building the packages, telling the stories. I loved going out and, like you, getting to interact with people and learn their story. Um, it's just very educational. You, know, you learn a lot um, just talking to people. And so I loved that, and I loved putting together the packages of cool video and music. And I created my own segment. I had a a show called the Thursday night buzz where I'd go out and do these fun stories. And the higher I kind of went up or the more money I wanted. Um, it was about sitting at that anchor desk and just reporting the news. And that was okay. Like it was fun. I got to be a local celebrity for a while. Um, and in your early twenties, that's, that's pretty cool. It was a small market, but it was a big market TV station, like the product was really good. So it was a real job and it was a real thing. And it was, it was super fun, but that's kind of what, what I liked about it was the creative process for sure. Um, I was looking around, I'd been a news anchor for a few years, two or three years, and I wanted to go to the next place. In TV, it's about market size. So to make the next leap to um, a higher market where you can make more money, you pretty much have to go to the East Coast and do a couple years. And me being a Wyoming guy, I wasn't keen on that. You know, it would have been a a great adventure probably, but there's really no guarantee you're going to make it back. And when you do make it back, you're aiming at a Denver market or a Seattle market, or maybe like a Boise market. But even that didn't sound that great to me. I wasn't a big Denver fan, personally. So um, so I started looking around, and the first interview I had was with a campaign staff for a guy that was running for governor of Wyoming, who I happened to know, and ended up interviewing for that job. And kind of the stuff I didn't like about TV was wrapped up in this thing. But I thought, man, I could be a writer. I could be communications. I could do that. And I ended up interviewing in an outdoor company back in my hometown of Riverton, and I'd never dreamed it a million years. Um, you know, you and I had this little chat about sort of leaving Wyoming, and coming back to your hometown didn't seem viable, uh, but there was a really cool company doing some cool things, and that's what drew me back. And so I spent um, quite a few years as a, as a brand manager, marketing guy, until that company was acquired, and then I worked for that parent company for a while. So that's actually what brought me back to Wyoming.
0: You transitioned from the supposed security of working for another company to the sometimes insane idea that you're going to start your own company
1: you know, when you're 20 something, the ideas aren't all that crazy, but believe me, when I quit my first career, which was TV, I think my family thought I was crazy. You know, you'd you'd made it, you're on TV, you're doing this thing, but fulfillment wise, I kind of was at the ceiling a little bit, unless I could make the leap to like a giant market and maybe that would be more interesting. But, but again, what I liked was the storytelling and and all that. And so I actually found that with this outdoor company, really stable first kind of job where you're making decent money and you're growing a business and you're learning all facets of the business and that's really what i did is immersed myself in every component from manufacturing to sales to marketing to just logistics all of it i just tried to understand a little about a lot that's a, that's it and so i learned a lot in that process and that's kind of what i probably gave me the foundation to be able to branch out on my own and i ended up doing that uh probably about five years into that position
0: What was and is Pitch Engine?
1: You know, here I was with this little bit of background in media. I'd I'd always been sort of a media guy. And I had that that journalism background, and then I was with a brand. And I I could really, you know, there was really differences between the two. Journalism didn't have any resources, even back then in the early 2000s. The brands did have resources. They would spend thousands of dollars on high-res photography and PR agencies and all these things. And at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is make relationships with journalists so that they would about you they would tell their their readers about you and back then it was a very linear thing like you would tell a story and you'd get it to a journalist and the journalist would tell the audience so remember this was pre social media you know you were starting to see more and more of these bloggers and online influencers and things like that start to happen and so the idea with pitch engine was one let's say we had a new product coming out and it was a solar toaster for the outdoors you would take these high res photos and you'd put a press release together and you'd send this press release out and if outside magazine said this looks awesome send us high res photos and we'd go, okay so fortunately you were lucky they got the word doc in their email they had the right version of word they could download it like all these things all the stars off the line just for them to read the press release back then because it's a word doc attached to an email then they'd say well we want some high res images like we Think this could be the cover of outside magazine gear guide or whatever and you'd say okay well i'll send you the photos they're five megs a piece and so whoa, whoa whoa we can't take a file over three megs in our email we have an ftp site so i could get you on the ftp site you could have a password where you could put the password and you could download the images and they'd say okay that's great you know send me the info and a couple days would go by and you would get all the passwords to them and everything and then follow up and they'd say oh yeah we weren't able to get that password to work so we ended up getting it on page nine on a sidebar and you can read a little bit of text and i was like oh and I thought, how many people go through this? And back then the advanced technology was you'd go to a trade show with a thumb drive and here's, here's our press kit on a thumb drive, ooh, you know. But who wants files and stuff on their computer? You put in a thumb drive and you download all this stuff and like nobody's that important, right, <laughs> right? Like, like there's very few brands that I wanna go through that trouble. So the idea was, here I was in my personal life, I had a MySpace account like we all did. I could upload 30 photos to my friends at one time and share them like that, but businesses weren't doing this. It didn't exist. There was no Dropbox. Those things weren't around. And so in uh, about 2007, just basically came up with this idea for Pitch Engine and, and the idea was, you know, can I create a digital press release, um, which ended up being the social media press release. and. There were some people floating around ideas about social media and how we could share PR, but I knew fundamentally the tools weren't there. And so the idea was, can I put video and high res images that can be downloaded and some text and can I tell this story? So I sketched it out on a napkin, literally. Like it's one of those goofy cliche stories. I I worked with an ad agency, up in Billings that I knew through my uh, former employer and went up there and I sat down at a coffee shop, a little breakfast place and drew it out on a napkin and said, here's what I want to do. And they said, okay, we'll, we'll take it and put together a bid and figure out what it would cost. And I think the quote was maybe $16,000, which for me in the early days, ah, you know, like, Oh, that's great. Fun. Awesome. You know, what is, what a way to go. Uh, but I'm not, I don't have that money. I didn't know anything about raising money or doing any of that kind of stuff. And so I, I wasn't even married at the time. I, I, I had my, my wife and I were just kind of getting together and I had this idea percolating and she just said, when it's meant to be, it'll happen. So I kept on with my daily life, but at night I started blogging and I got on this, uh, there was a, a network called Ning, N-I-N-G. And it was basically like a social network, but it was your own social network. So it was like Facebook was a thing by then, but you had this thing called Ning where you could create your own network and people could log in and get your content and I started blogging about social media and PR and I just said here's this and here's that I would do it at midnight like there was no strategy behind when I published and all that I just published content asked questions did all that stuff and a lot of influencers around I mean the head of social media at Ford and authors about PR books and and major PR firms and everybody sort of got onto it I had about two or three thousand people in that network so that that kept growing kept growing and I had to go to a trade show in Las Vegas so you're in the hotel my wife and her friends some of my friends from work they were all going to come to Vegas and hang out for a couple days during the show and stay with us and all that but she hadn't arrived yet I had to set up the show and all that so I'm playing a slot machine which I'm not much of a gambler let's put it that way that's probably the better way to say it But I'm playing this deal or no deal slot machine, penny slot machine, pushing the button. And I win the jackpot, which was like $3,000. So I had saved up a little bit, right? I had saved up a few thousand dollars. In order to get the contract, I had to pay half of it down. So I had to pay $8,000 down to build Pitch Engine. So I literally made the call from the hotel lobby to say, let's go. You know, I got the money. So my wife arrives that night i think and i said you remember when you said it when it was meant to be it would happen and i took the money out she knew something was up because i couldn't stop smiling so i took the money out and it was it was pretty fun little moment in our in our lives and and that's that's when i started pitch engine and literally three or four months in i was spending twenty thousand dollars a month on development so you go from the beginning to where we were but uh you know had a monetization model back then from day one which was kind of unheard of people didn't build software that made money back then
0: you've been involved in a variety of businesses when you look back on that first experience which is still ongoing if you had to say there was one lesson that you learned out of it what might that have been there's a lot of lessons
1: you know pitch engine's is 11 years old 12 years old so it's been a while <laughs> so there's a lot of lessons to learn in there but i think um I think it takes a fair bit of confidence to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs now. I love to encourage them and hopefully inspire them and help them. And uh, and people ask me, like, can you teach it? You know, where does it come from? And I think there are there's foundational things you can lay to be an entrepreneur, but there's certain traits that you probably have to have. And thick skin is one of them. Uh, You know, it's kind of a lonely place. Not a lot of people see what you see when you're building it. And so that could be challenging at times, but you know, I, I think it's just a, uh, you got to have grit. You got to have a lot of grit and Fortunately I had those things. I attribute a lot of that to Wyoming. We have a work ethic here and I've told this story time and time again. But you know, when we're kids, you know, and, and you go out and someone wants you to help, you know, build a fence, you dig a hole, set the post and you you could get paid for that. And if you dig more holes and you set more posts, you can make more money. That wasn't how startup world worked in Silicon Valley. You said, I want all this money and I'm gonna try to build something. But I didn't do pitch engine that way. I built it slowly like a fence and said, if I do more, more people will come. And that's how I would scale. And that's pretty much been my mantra over the years. Different businesses require different levels of capital and different things to happen. But but for the most part, I try to do a lot with a little. David Cohen from Techstars gave me a quote. I, I actually wrote a, a book back in the day and he gave me a quote for the jacket that was like, that said, I did a lot with a little. And so I, I try to pride myself on that. I'm pretty conservative about growth and those things. So I was a Silicon Valley startup, but I was in Wyoming. So that was really weird. It, it opened some crazy doors. I did some really fun things, and but it, it came with a fair bit of challenges too.
0: Another venture that you got involved in goes back to your background also being news. Mm-hmm. Uh, what brought you back to the idea of local media?
1: As Pitch Engine was growing, And for reference, in the first year, we had 20,000 brands, Budweiser, Walmart, British Airways, like all large Fortune 500 companies were on Pitch Engine. You know, back then, YouTube, you could share one video on YouTube and that was it. So a company like Budweiser could go to Pitch Engine, create a story, put multiple snippets of their Super Bowl commercials on there and send them to their fans the Friday before the Super Bowl. It opened up this whole new way to communicate directly with people um, and create content because even these social platforms really weren't about content. Twitter was 140 characters. Facebook didn't have near the bells and whistles it has now. So that that was a big deal. And as we grew, it was mostly about these big businesses, big enterprise. But the way I structured the model, it was a subscription software. So it only costs like $30 a month or $50 a month if you wanted to upgrade. If you had an agency account with a hundred brands, you know, obviously that adds up. But When you talk to investor type people, they'd say, go sell 10 big enterprise customers and then we can raise money and then we'll scale it. And what I didn't think people understood was I would be sitting and talking to DirecTV, their whole marketing team, which might be 12 people, which by the way, I would do on my cell phone holding my firstborn, hoping he would stay quiet. You know, they would deliberate and they would raise it up the ladder and they'd talk about it corporately and three months would go by or two months would go by and they might get an account count but in that time a hundred small businesses would sign up and so I knew that small business was a big opportunity for us and so I had to think about what they wanted. And with Pitch Engine, these big companies would get great indexing in Google. So they were using it for that purpose and also these other things. But a small business didn't necessarily care about the Google stuff at that time. They still needed to be known in their community. They really just cared about their community. And all that was around were like these traditional radio, newspaper, whatever channels, which I just felt were outdated and noisy. And your ad had to compete with other ads. And it was just a bad time for all that the catalyst for it really was how can we create pitch engine as a platform for smb for small businesses there's newsworthy things happening in communities but that's not getting told because they're businesses for me the big biggest key in business uh, is empathy and so i just said all right all these people all my friends and neighbors what are they experiencing what do they need what do they what do they not have and you know you would drive into town and main Street would be closed and there's like a dance going on and nobody knew because we didn't read the newspaper. That was just an assumption that people had because we think that's how it works. Or just like the phone book, I gotta be in the phone book, gotta have yellow pages, right? How many times did you buy a yellow page ad because you thought you had to? And then it took forever for people to realize nobody looked at the thing. So that was the idea and we just said, you know, how can we help businesses do that? And honestly, I went to my newspaper friends and people I didn't even know and said, here's a model for how you can plug businesses into your websites, whether you're a radio station or a newspaper, and you can make money from it. I basically said, here's a business model for you. And they all said, no, thanks, we're good. Everybody said, we're good with it. So I said, all right, let's just do it. So we started in Fremont County, county of about 40,000 people. We built County 10 from one reporter to you know multiple reporters and basically took over the news thing right away. And there's a lot that goes into that that sounds easy. It's not. It was really rethinking the model about what was newsworthy and not being the thing that told people what was newsworthy, not being the thing that picked a top story. In fact, there's not a top story. It's a, it's a feed of news. And the stuff that gets shared around is organic. If people are sharing it and it's getting more views, it's because it's relevant somehow. And so there was a lot of things we learned there. And then we ended up scaling it across the state. We had seven news, Streams Buckrail and Jackson Hole still kicking along, and uh, I think all of them are actually fine. There's there's Shortgo and Cheyenne and Oil City and Casper. There's some of them that've been renamed. There's County Three and Sheridan, and there's one in Gillette. Really fun, really awesome process. Was part strategy about shifting our focus uh, in Pitch Engine to small business, but also downtime. When projects are going on and you've got developers doing things, you start to look around and do other things. One thing I'm pretty proud of that we did back then with our developers, we had probably seven or eight developers in house, which you didn't see much in Wyoming. There, There might be some software developers, but we started a thing called Code Camp and we invited 10 high schoolers to come and learn how to code it was amazing. And and they, these kids, high school kids came from Lander Riverton, the the Wind River Indian Reservation. You know, we we tried to get it, open it up to anybody and they dedicated their summers to learning how to code. And they ended up going off and being computer science majors at college. And that was really fun and eye-opening and Department of Workforce Services came to us and said, can you do this for the state? And so we opened up courses um, and we We took our developers and traveled to Casper and Jackson and places like that, Cody, and we put these camps on. Um, That ended up through a long process evolving and became, it's now Array, but it's essentially that program that we started back in those days about how to teach people to code the Wyoming way, if you will. So it's pretty fun.
0: One story that you had mentioned was in Gillette, the idea of Wyoming strong. Mm -hmm. You know, with all these
1: news streams, we knew that we'd never run out of news because everyone has a story and they're fascinating. Everybody's got a personal story of some level. And The other thing that we we really tried to focus on is that we didn't sell advertising. Um, We didn't do Google AdWords and we didn't even do display ads in the beginning. The idea was if a business had a story to tell, there's a value to them to get that story told, but there's also a value to the audience. If my favorite restaurant changes their hours, that's newsworthy to me. I think it's Zuckerberg that and I'm going to paraphrase this and probably chop it up. But the idea that if I walk out of my house and on the doorstep is a dead squirrel, that's much more newsworthy to me today than something that happened in in Afghanistan yesterday, even though it was a giant tragedy the things that happen in our lives are more interesting. And so I also felt like the more connected we were on social media with old college friends and high school people and family and all these, the less connected we were to our friends and neighbors. And so I've, I always thought this could be this virtual third space, that was the new bowling alley, the new VFW, the new Elks Club. Even though it's digital and even though it's news, I felt like it, we could all have this thing in common and it worked and it really did. But with Gillette, you know we saw the traditional news gets focused on what gets clicks because remember the way traditional news makes money is by google adwords on the website or selling real estate in a newspaper which both of those things are all but dead like that model is dead and people can debate me debate me all day long but those things aren't on the rise and if you're not on the rise you're dead. So we knew that there was a different model, and but but those things needed to do that. They needed to sell the, the sizzle. And it was always depressing news. It's like, oh, this many jobs gone and this, whatever. And it's very like, it, it's not even personal, right? It's just like, here's the data, here's the data, and here's what somebody said. And there was always an angle. So with Wyo strong, we looked around and we're like, look, Gillette is going through a time right now. We're part of that community. Wyoming's part of that community. I mean, we should all be grateful to a place like Gillette where energy royalties go to all these schools around the state that was a big debated thing back in the day in Campbell County and so you know here here were these people getting displaced from the mines at the time and they're going through a whole new thing now but back then it was the mines closing and you know we said look there there's interesting things happening there's there's people you know starting a a barbershop and it's a boutique thing and it's cool and then there's somebody starting a donut business you know a franchise or whatever and so we just started telling those stories and we we called it why was strong it was really successful I think it ended up scaling statewide but really the idea was we wanted to tell those great stories and we wanted how positive news out there and you don't have to be hokey about positive news You, you gotta tell the real stuff But you gotta find it, and you gotta look through that lens and understand why it's positive. Sometimes it's not blatantly positive, you know? Uh, A big one for me, uh, in County 10 we had a horrible accident where a a little girl was killed in an intersection. Not an intersection, it was a crosswalk. And she got hit by an older lady, and it was just a really sad, tragic event. So we were trying to think of ways to give back, and how can we help, how can we solve the problem? And we thought, you know, we live in these little communities, if you really, if people really step back and think about it, they want to slow down, and they want to think about their communities and you'd have these like slow down signs but that's like barking at me and so we created this thing called heads up and hashtag heads up and the idea was just keep your head up you know heads up let's pay attention we've got people in our community whether it's bicyclists or people running or kids, the idea was just to think about your community first when you're out there doing those things. Cause we all get in a hurry and it's like, I gotta get home and do this thing or I gotta let the dog out or whatever it is, right? I gotta meet the cable guy. But at the end of the day, it's not all none of it's worth it right and so the idea was let's be heads up and we printed these orange signs and i was in riverton last weekend they're still all over i see those and i see county 10 stickers but that was years ago that was five or six years ago we did that and so i'm pretty proud of that because i felt like uh, we also Uh, equipped all the crosswalks with flags we put we bought flags and put them in all the crosswalks and just try to get people to pay attention and be heads up and so those kinds of things are super fun like i don't mean to it's not our goal to to save the world but at the same time you get to do some pretty cool things in communities when you're connected to them
0: saving the world (laughs) maybe up here go a little bit below it life key snagged my attention but not Everyone in Wyoming might have heard of it. Could you tell us about Lifekey?
1: People close to me know that I'm always, I, I wanna fix everything. My coworker, uh, COO, Fabian Lobera, he's a cyclist. He used to cycle back in DC all the time and got a wild hair to start doing it again in Wyoming. You know, he would cycle from Lander to Riverton. He would commute in the mornings and it's, it's a good 25 miles. And so I'm like, what do you do for safety? And like, how, what, what if something happens? And he had this little wristband and it had an engraved plate on it with his wife's phone number for one who answers their phone anymore from a number they don't recognize right there's there's that whole thing but i really started to think about we have all this data we have all this information attached to us that's digital that you can't access from me. You might be able to access it from a computer or a database somewhere, but it's not accessible for me. And I really started to think about like, how come this data doesn't follow us around? How come there's not a way to access it? Where's our little black box? That was the idea behind LifeKey. It was like, how can I take a, a wristband and make it so that I can access data Um, that's not printed on here, but that could be accessed with a phone. I just started thinking about, like all the technologies out there, Bluetooth communications, NFC, RFID, uh, wireless, 4G, all those things. And I kept coming back to this NFC functionality because being involved in the outdoor industry at another point in my life, I knew that durability waterproofness um, no batteries no charging that was really appealing and that was what it's going to take for wearables to kind of take this next step why not go the step further away from the phone and find something they could interact with the phone and then stand alone. And they really got into near field communication. And basically what that is, is the whole idea of tap to pay. So when you go into a Starbucks, you order a coffee and you tap on the point of sale system and you pay. And we all know about it now because the pandemic has kind of forced us into it. But that same functionality where you use your phone to connect with a microchip using radio frequency. So it, it powers the data and puts it back to my phone and it has to be a centimeter away. So there's a lot of interesting things that happen there you can't scan it from far away so you can't crack my data you know you can't steal my data you have to touch it physically which is another really interesting thing it shows intent i intend to pay this i intend to give you my information and the idea was i thought wow it really opens up a world of possibilities and and new functionality for people if the data they have can can travel with them beyond this thing because this thing already feels kind of old to me (laughs) like like short of putting it in my head you know there's not much we can do to that and part of the problem is because all the peripherals have to be built into it you have not the greatest camera because it's in your phone you have not the biggest display because it has to be this size so you start to sacrifice things to get them in here don't get me wrong this is an amazing technology that we've developed (laughs) But do we have to have all these pieces all the time? Why can't I walk up to a screen and tap it and see what I need to see? And then the next person walks up and taps it and sees what they need to see. How do we untether from those things? And that was the idea. So the first thing we started with was that health and safety information. If I find somebody with with one of these bands, if I have one of these bands and I tap it, I can pull up pertinent information. So for seniors, that might be a list of prescription medications, might be a an allergy or a, a disease, I have heart disease, or I have, you know, blood disease or whatever. But then for athletes, adventurers, uh, it was more about what if something happens? I'm putting myself at risk. We have a lot of like an, that demographic of like action sports and adventures is actually aged and they have kids now. So what happens if something happens to me? And what about my wife? What about my kids? And vice versa. What about my husband? What about my kids? so that was really the the idea and you know life key was born and the idea behind it was really to to just take wearables to a whole new place and that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we are we're we working with some really large organizations, global brands to integrate the technology into their existing products so that they can make them connected and then we have our own products for humans and then we just launched Fetch which is for dogs and again the way it has worked forever with dog tags is you either have an engraved dog tag which can rub off and it's jingly and all that stuff and you can only put so much information on it or you have a microchip that you put in your pet, which a vet has to do, but if someone finds your pet, they don't know that, They have to take that pet to a vet and the vet has to have an RFID reader and the vet has to read it and all that costs money. And so now they just have a pet tag that I can tap with my phone and see the pet's information and the person who owns the pet gets a notification as soon as I tap with a GPS location of where the pet is. So the same thing goes for the wearables and their and kids and connected families. Uh, My kid can check in when he gets to his friend's house and I know he made it or to practice or whatever. Really just trying to reinvent that and think differently about that. And, you know, I think Wyoming gives us a unique perspective into all that. Most of us go off on our own doing some adventure once in a while during the summer or spring or fall. And I don't think that happens everywhere in the world, but it does make you think about those things a little more. The last question I'll ask you
0: for this, because otherwise we'll talk (laughs) for three hours. The last question I'll ask for this particular conversation, you could do this in so many places. Mm -hmm. You could be in Silicon Valley, literally. Why is it that you choose to do it here?
1: For me, it's just, there's something about Wyoming. I think it's part of my makeup. So I think it's part of the components that made me, you know, want to give back to those things, I get involved as much as I can. Um, I'm on the board of the Wyoming Business Council because I really feel like I want to help us collectively get to the next stage. I know that we're used to the boom and bust and all those things, but what if the boom doesn't happen and we're starting to see industries just crumble? And I'm not just talking about oil and gas. Like I think it's a really short-sighted way to think of this is, oh, we got to evolve beyond energy. It's not just that. It's our businesses. It's our retail. It's our tourism all those things they have to leapfrog and we have to think about where we're going to be and we have to stop thinking about the immediate needs of oh education costs too much and oh this costs too much and fixing the budget on a yearly basis we have to think 10 years and 30 years and you know i think i I credit governor mead with starting that conversation around um, in dow putting those kinds of things together but at the same time i really think we have to act and we have to do them Sometimes it's unpopular to tell people how bad it is. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a pessimistic guy, I'm an optimist, but you have to understand how bad it is and, and where we're headed to understand where we need to go. I'm not saying we're gonna be Silicon Valley and I'm not saying we're, we need to be a tech hub and all that stuff, but we have to modernize and we have to think about the gig economy and remote workers and we have to think differently about isolation and I think we have to leverage our isolation and so all those things sort of look like opportunity to me. You know, I want my kids to be able to be here. You know, you and I talked about our age when we got to college age we wanted to get out of here and then we wanted to come back and I would say that's 99% of everybody um, they would love to be back but they don't have those opportunities and some of them just need to f- be facilitated to bring back those opportunities and we're learning more and more about remote working and all those things I think collectively we all understand it we have to get past the mentality of we don't want people in Wyoming because um, if we don't have people we don't have a lot of things that happen and I think culturally we just have to keep our eye on the ball we, we can't lose our Our Um, culture—that's the number one fear of all these small towns. I love them all. You know, I I go to these towns, and they don't want to lose their character and their charm. And you don't have to lose that to grow. I'm just a big believer. Like you're you're fundamentally a certain thing, and you can be that. And you can be diligent about how you grow. And I think Wyoming could be that. I think that it's not about saying, "Hey, let's open up our borders and be." be the next Colorado. I don't think it's that. I think it's being isolated and saying, this is a place where these type of people go. I think that's really interesting. And I think you get the right people here and the right mindsets here. When you do that, it's a long play. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not the 300 person company that decides to be here overnight, but eventually you get the entrepreneur that decides this is my people and they come here and they build their business here and we all benefit. So those kinds of things are what fires me up. I think the older I get, the more I, I think about community and Wyoming's a community. 500,000 people is a small town, is a small city. If it was all consolidated, we have some pretty great stories. If we all consolidated into a little place, right? We happen to be spread out and we have to figure out how to navigate that. But there's great startups, there's great businesses, there's great leaders in that little group i'm totally going to miss probably misquote it but i think it was governor uh sullivan that said um you know wyoming's a town of long streets
0: i like the idea of wyoming's a very exclusive club and i'm I'm really glad you're in the club
1: awesome i'm happy to be in it i'll i'll fly the flag anytime